Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. So I'm not sure if you guys are aware or not, but a lot of news happened this week. Like a lot of news, like way too much news this week has been about a year long. And if you would have told me at the end of last week that this is where we would be at the end of this week, I would not have believed you. Because um, now we have riots. And we have Trump trying to eliminate Section 230 via EO. And we, we've got dueling Karens and, and the conversation about cell phone footage and when it's a good thing and when it's a bad thing. Yeah, there's a lot going on. So go ahead and start with the unemployment numbers for the week of May 23rd. And that clocked in at 2.1 million new claims. So again, still going down, still high. Not much more to say about that that I haven't already said before, but I do like to let you guys know where we're at with that. So I mean, little tiny bit of ray of hope, maybe, although... Given the events of this past week, um, we we might be erasing some of those gains, shall we say, because um, there's some newly unemployed people out there because their their businesses no longer exist. So anyway, before we get to that, I do want to talk about Trump's social media executive order, which the text of it was leaked Wednesday nightish. It became official on Thursday. And basically what this is, when you break it down, once you get past all of the whining in the EO about how unfair Twitter is and social media is, and first of all, I would just like to say it is incredibly rich to hear Donald Trump complain about how unfair Twitter is to him because that dude gets away with shit on Twitter that the rest of us would get our accounts nuked for. Like, dude started a whole ass conspiracy theory about how Joe Scarborough murdered one of his interns back when he was a senator. He keeps referring to it as a cold case. It's not a cold case. It never was a case. He didn't murder the woman. She, like, passed out, hit her head on the desk and died. It was like some weird freak accident thing. So... He makes this tweet basically accusing Scarborough of murder. Everybody takes it, runs it with it. It all blows up. It even gets to the point where the woman's widower wrote a letter to Jack, basically begging him to take the tweet down because it's very hurtful, very damaging to the memory of his wife. And one one day my kids are going to see this. Like, I don't want to have to explain this. I don't want to have to explain why the president of the United States is saying that this dude murdered their mom. Jack refused to take the tweet down. As far as I know, the tweet is still up. So this whole idea that somehow Twitter is unfair to Trump is the most insane bullshit I have ever heard in my entire life. Dude violates TOS on a daily basis. I I really do not want to hear this nonsense from him. But of course, it's picking up this new conservative talking point that somehow social media is very unfair to conservatives and silences conservatives, which I've not seen anybody offer any hard data on this, that they silence conservatives more than they silence liberals or libertarians or apolitical people. 
So, but anyway, it sounds nice to them because it makes them feel like victims. And, you know, I can remember when leaning into victimhood got you called a snowflake, but apparently this is a thing conservatives do now. So anyway, to try to kind of lean into this victimhood, we get this EO that basically asks for a bunch of different government agencies like the, like the FCC, um, the White House Office of Digital Strategy, yeah, I guess that's a thing. I fuck if I know. Um, apparently, the Department of Justice is supposed to get involved in this, too, and somehow call meetings and come up with new regulations to try to put constrictions on Section 230 because it because I don't like Twitter and this sounds good to my base. So I'm going to do this thing that anybody with half a brain knows. If you read this, it's not legally enforceable. First of all, you can't EO your way into either getting rid of or modifying a law that was passed by Congress. Section 230 was part of the Communications Decency Act, which is actually, Section 230, I think, is the only part of the CDA that is still standing. Most of it got booted out back in the, I think, late 90s for being flagrantly unconstitutional. (laughs) So there's that. But yeah. I've spent enough time talking about Section 230 in various other episodes in the past. And so, of course, because of this EO, now we have to have this whole conversation about Section 230 again. If you want, you can go read Section 230. The pertinent part is 26 words. They're not large words. They're not particularly difficult words to read. It's pretty clear what the intent of it is. I mean, if you want to go even further, you can go read Jeff Kosick's book, The 26 Words That Changed the Internet, and that gives you the whole history and backstory of why Section 230 exists. But to kind of sum it up slowly and like TLDR here, basically, Section 230 was brought into existence because of two particular cases from back in the 90s, one of them being CompuServe versus Cubby or Cubby versus CompuServe, however you want to look at that, and then Stratton Oakmart versus Prodigy. And basically, the two cases both hinged around the same idea of what the platform allowed to be published versus what it chose to curate. And Prodigy specifically curated their content because they were marketed as a more family-friendly sort of way of accessing the internet. It was certainly more of a walled garden sort of thing. And they did curate the content that was put on their message boards and stuff like that in that vein of making sure that it's, you know, family-friendly. And CompuServe did not. So basically, the results of those two cases is that in CompuServe versus Cubby, it was ruled in favor of CompuServe because CompuServe did not curate any content. So it was deemed that because they did not curate content, that they were not liable for anything published on their platform. Now, in Stratton Oakmont versus Prodigy, it was viewed, it was ruled in favor of Stratton Oakmont because Prodigy did curate their content. So the so the courts viewed it as, okay, if you are curating content, then you are deciding exactly what content is allowed on your site and that therefore that does make you responsible for the content. So Cox and Wyden, the two senators who came up with Section 230, looked at those two rulings, felt that that was not a fair legal standard to apply to platforms because it would disincentivize platforms from curating content and from creating these kind of nicer, gentler, safer spaces so that you don't just like get on the internet and all of a sudden it's just like 
all the grossness of the internet just all in your face all the time. So they felt that that was unfair. So that's why they crafted Section 230. Now, I told you all that to tell you this. The point of Section 230 is that it allows platforms to decide to delete content if they so choose to, and that does not make them the publisher of the content still allowed on the platform. So basically, Twitter is not responsible for anything that I say on their platform. Twitter cannot be sued for anything I say. If Twitter wishes to post content, then that is Twitter's responsibility and they can be sued for it. So here's where conservatives are trying to make the argument that Twitter violated Section 230. What ended up happening is Twitter posted like a little addendum to the bottom of a Trump tweet about mail-in voting. And this has been his other kind of bugaboo right now is saying that mail-in voting is going to just be rife with fraud and abuse and it's going to screw Republicans somehow. I'm, I'm not entirely sure how, but apparently, I guess Republicans can't figure out how to use a mailbox. I don't know. Anyway, it's been this whole thing. And so at the bottom of one of these tweets, Twitter put a little link down there, like one of those little get the facts things, and it links to like, I think a CNN piece and a WAPO piece about the prevalence of fraud in mail-in voting, which is very, 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 very small. Much like in-person voting, you have way more people talking about voter fraud than any voter fraud that actually takes place. So this is what pissed him off and started this whole thing. Apparently, this EO has been in the works for a while, but I mean, there's there's no mistaking the timing of it. Like this is this is in relationship to that. Like this is what Trump has time to do right now. He has time to make an executive order about fucking Twitter because they made a little addendum to one of his tweets. And so conservatives are arguing like, well, once they did that, then all of a sudden they're violating Section 230 and now they're a publisher and blah, 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 blah. Like, no, that's not how it works. They didn't alter anything in Trump's tweet. They added to it. Now, if they would have went in and altered anything in his tweet, then they would have became the publisher of that and then they would become responsible. That's not what happened. So after the EO, and I'd like to think that Jack did this out of spite. It's something I would have done out of spite, but I guess this is also a way of trying to square the circle of, well, if I can't put this little addendum at the bottom of your tweet, I'm going to do this. There's now a, a way that Twitter flags content on the site, and it specifically relates to tweets that they feel are glorifying violence. So Trump did another tweet, this time about the riots going on in Minneapolis and across the, the nation, where the last line of the tweet is, when they start shooting, when they start looting, we start shooting, which is a line famously from a segregationist Miami police chief in relationship to the 1968 riots. So, yeah, it gets this tag about glorifying violence. And depending on how you see the tweet is dependent on, like, how it's it's presented. Like, it's, I've seen it, like, if you retweet the tweet, you won't see it immediately. You'll see, like, the warning that this tweet is glorifying violence, but we've decided to leave it up for the public interest, blah, 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 X, Y, Z. So when you retweet it, it shows up immediately as that. And then you have to click through that message to see the actual tweet. Um, I think if you go to Trump's direct feed, you can see the tweet immediately, but it does have that disclaimer at the end, basically Twitter explaining why they left it up. So <laughs> I guess if you can't put an addendum, now you get these little flags. 
it's just it's so stupid like this is like the dumbest thing to even have to talk about right now like we've got a pandemic we've got riots and we're talking about fucking twitter but the bigger point of this is that this eo is not really honest to god meant to do anything and it's not going to do anything the agencies in question have pretty much already said yeah no we're not we're not dealing with this right now like no we're not convening any kind of hearings to come up with any new regulations or any kind of new anything to deal with this. Like, no, we're just not doing this. So basically, this is Trump doing the EO version of a slap lawsuit, which is to say that this is not anything that's actually going to legally impact Twitter other than just annoy the fuck out of them. And possibly, I mean, it could end up leading to a court case, Probably not, but it's basically just to be a dick, honestly. Like, that's all this is going to accomplish. And it's just like, <sighs> like I said, I can't believe we've been talking about this right now. But of course, it's it's pandering. It's playing to the base. It's trying to give them something to feel good about, because let's just say there's not a lot to feel very good about right now. But yeah, not the thing that happened. And the fact that he would even attempt it. Is, is kind of scary. It's a little frightening, even though I know, legally speaking, this is not something that would hold up in court. Like, this would get laughed out of court the first time a, a case got brought in on this because they're going to look at Section 230, at all the case law involving Section 230, and be like, yeah, no, that's not, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. But he did it. And so, therefore, it is newsworthy. And therefore, we have to talk about Twitter and Trump's dumb, stupid slap fight. But moving on to another stupid, dumb slap fight that didn't need to happen, we've got the case of the dueling Karens. Uh, we've got Audrey Cooper, who I, I will call Lady Karen, and then Christian Cooper, who I will call Gentleman Karen. So this is, I, and I'm, I'm sure everybody has seen the video by now, it's the confrontation between the man and the woman, and this is in New York City. It's in the Bramble, although she keeps calling it the Ramble. It's actually the Bramble. And it's apparently like a park that is known for bird watching. So as part of the rules of the park is that if you bring your dog, you have to keep them on leash because this is like an like a bird aviary place kind of thing. And obviously, if you have dogs running around, it scares the birds, the birds fly away, and then you can't watch the birds. Anywho, so Lady Karen is there with her dog off leash and Gentleman Karen decides to ask her to go put the dog on the leash. Now... If you're a normal human being, you would probably take the option of either telling dude to fuck off or probably even better, just put the dog on a leash and then either go somewhere else or wait five minutes for him to leave and then take the dog back off the leash. Like everybody knows how to play this game. <laughs> like if you're doing something that's technically against the rules in public, you know how to do this when somebody says something. You're just like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. And then as soon as that person's gone, you go back to doing what you were doing. Like everybody knows this. Anywho, she chooses to not do this. And somehow or another, this turns into an altercation where gentleman Karen starts filming this because she starts threatening to call the cops and tell them that an African-American man is threatening her and her dog. Now, clearly speaking, both of these people are kind of assholes. However, I will always give the edge of assholery to the person who calls the cops. Do not 
call the cops over dumb shit. People, please don't do that unless there is something going on that is extremely urgent and you have no other way to handle it. Do not involve law enforcement. At best, you're going to ruin somebody's day. At worst, you can get somebody killed. And there's a whole lot of variations in between there, between getting a fine, and then now you have to go deal with that. If somebody gets arrested, now you're in the system. Now you got to deal with that. It's just, it don't, don't do it unless there's an actual honest to God good reason. And somebody asking you to please follow the rules and put your dog on a leash, and then you wanting to be a dick about it is not a reason to call the cops. So that's why... She gets the edge here as to who's the bigger asshole in this situation. But ultimately, nothing comes of this. So I don't know if the cops ever showed up. I don't know if they were even still there, if the cops did show up. Here's here's the other side of that coin, though. I can understand why somebody like Christian Cooper, when that bell is rung, would start videotaping the situation. And this kind of leads into the next story I want to talk about. But I can understand in certain situations where you are feeling threatened or you think something's about to happen, you you start recording. And for what it's worth, this is something that any good attorney would advise you to do, too. Like if you are about to have an altercation with the police, if the police are about to be present, if you feel like this is a situation that could go badly for you, start filming, start recording if you can do so safely, because you because you can. Like, you, you have the technology in your hand. Do it. Protect yourself. Have that impartial evidence, because if anything does go wrong, either you have that to back up your side of the story, or if the absolute worst happens and you don't make it, you have a recording of what the hell happened to you. So I'm not mad at him for that. What I am mad at him for is putting that on social media. Because now Audrey Cooper, Lady Karen, has lost her job. Um, she lost the dog, which, by the way, if you watch the video, this poor woman is choking the damn dog, dragging it around by the collar, like lifting it up off the ground, trying to call 911. Like, oh my gosh. Anyway, she loses the dog. Now she's just infamous on social media. And that's not something that needed to have happen either. Like, calling the cops is a dick move. Putting this on social media was a dick move. Because nothing happened to you. Like, all's well that ends well. Christian Cooper is still alive. Like I said, he wasn't arrested. I, like, I don't even know if the cops ever actually showed up. So what is the point of putting this out there? Other than to just show that this woman was being an asshole. Like, people are assholes every damn day. So what? What, what was I supposed to gather from this? But... Of course, the internet mob does what it does, and it did what it did, and now she has no job and no dog. So it's it's kind of a kind of a double edged sword. The whole idea of recording things all the time because things can go the way this case did, where really nothing happened, no harm, no foul. Like, go about your day, go about your life. Like, you were an asshole, she was an asshole. Okay, whatever. You don't have to put this on the internet and turn it into a thing, but you did. So, going from that story to the George Floyd story. And I want to start by saying, this is the other half of the sword here of when to record 
things and post them on social media because there is a definite defined reason to do so. I'm sure you've already heard what happened to George Floyd. Um, You may or may not have watched the video. Um, I did. And it is disturbing. I mean, it's I watched a man die in the middle of the street in daylight with at least a handful of people, if not dozens of people, filming this. And the cop that did it knew these people were there. They're screaming at him. They're holding their phones in front of him. He knows they're there. And he still did this. Which, that, that blows my mind right there. Like, what... What level do you have to be on that you know, you know you are on camera right now. You know this is going to be put on the internet. You know there is no way that you are going to escape this. But you still sit there and you leave your your knee on the back of this dude's neck for, I mean, the videos are about six minutes long. Um, apparently, this went on for nine minutes. You did this for nine minutes. And from what I've been able to gather from reports that I've seen, if you watch the video, at the end of the video, the ambulance shows up. They lift him onto the stretcher. He's clearly unconscious. When they checked his pulse in the ambulance, he had no pulse. So basically, he was dead on the scene. So like I said, I watched the video of a cop killing a man in broad daylight in front of cameras. (sighs) There's a lot to be said about that. And so... Obviously, people put the footage online and where we are at now, legally speaking, um, Derek Chauvin, the cop that ended up killing George Floyd. I mean, there, there's no other way around this. There's no point in mincing words about this. He killed him. He has been charged with third degree murder. Um, all of the cops involved on the scene, there was him and three other cops. They've all been fired. Um, the other three cops, as of right now, have not been charged with anything. And that is kind of a sticking point for people, too. So that is where we are at legally with that. The result of all of this, and by the way, none of this happened instantaneously. It took days for Minneapolis PD to finally get it together and then for the Minneapolis DA's office to press charges against this dude. We've got riots. Um, Obviously started in Minneapolis, where this took place. And it spread across the country to pretty much all of the major cities. And, oh, man, um, a point I want to make before I get to the point about riots and police brutality in general is, even though I watch this and it's bad, like it, it's not a pleasant thing to watch, it is still, sadly... Not the worst video of a police officer killing a civilian that I've ever seen. And that's pretty fucked up. <laughs> like when when you toil in these mines, you you tend to see a lot of really ugly stuff. And the the number one, the the gold standard for me for the worst one of these I've ever seen is still Daniel Shaver, which don't Google that video unless you have a very, very strong stomach because it is incredibly disturbing and incredibly graphic. But if you do not wish to take my very good advice and you want to go Google that video, um, 
First thing to know is that Shaver is white. This was not a, a white cop killing a black civilian. This was a white, possibly Latino cop killing a white man. And if you want to watch that video, just keep in the back of your mind while you're watching it that that cop was found not guilty by a jury, was reinstated onto the police force, and then allowed to retire and draw a pension because he had PTSD. Because he fucking killed someone. He murdered this dude. Like, and if you want to watch the video, you will see there's nothing else you can call that. It was straight up murder. Like, he shot the man to death. And yes, you see it on the video. That is why I said, if you want to watch it, I will put an extreme warning of graphic content right here because you see a man getting shot to death. So, back to the riots. Um, rioting helps no one. If you want to protest, be my guest. There's, God, there's so much, so much in the way of police brutality and police tactics in this country that we should be protesting on a regular basis. And so many people in the libertarian movement have made that their life's work. This is not new to us. And it shouldn't be new to anybody else either, because I swear to God, we go through this all the damn time. Like, how many more times are we going to have to have one of these cases before people start figuring out what the solution is? And it's not rioting. It did not help in LA. It did not help in Ferguson. It is not going to help anywhere else because you're not hurting the people that are hurting you. And quite frankly, if all it takes for you to feel pacified is to go burn down something or rob a store, you're not angry enough. You're still not getting it because that shit ain't helping nothing. And all you're doing is diluting the message of the protesters who are trying to get something accomplished. Like, I just, I do not understand the rioting. I don't fucking get it. And there's plenty of conspiracy theories out there right now that, oh, it's white supremacists, it's Antifa, it's out-of-towners, it's this, it's that. Ultimately, like, I, I don't know. It was originally in Minneapolis. <laughs> um, <laughs> there, I think it was the mayor came out and said, oh, well, all of the arrests were out-of-staters. And it turns out that that was actually factually incorrect. Um, most of the arrests that were made were people from Minneapolis. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I I understand people wanting to make this be about whatever thing they want it to be about, but understand that this is also an organic response to a really shitty situation. And the ones that piss me off the most, though, the videos, are these fucking white kids who want to take this moment from black people and turn it into their own thing. And I'm not saying that you have to be black to have an opinion here. Obviously, clearly, I am not black. But don't take somebody else's movement and try to co-opt it for your own bullshit. That's not right. Especially not right now. Like, don't show up to a protest and then all of a sudden become violent and want to start smashing windows and painting graffiti and all this other stuff that has nothing to do with police brutality. Don't. 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 This shit is serious. We need to stay focused on the issue at hand. And that is police brutality. And I wanted to highlight the Shaver case, not only because it is 
indeed the most graphic just example of police brutality I have ever seen. But also to illustrate the fact that this is not just a black problem. This is not just a problem for minority communities. This is a problem for every single person in the United States. Do not ever think that your melanin level gives you some magical force field that means the cops will not fuck with you. They will. Just because you're white does not mean that cops will not harass you, that they will not beat the shit out of you, that they will not kill you. They will. They'll do it to black people, they'll do it to white people, they'll do it to brown people, they'll do it to Asian people, they'll do it to anybody. Because they can. And that's, that's, that's what needs to be the focus here, is understanding why cops do this. And that is because they can. They can legally get away with this shit. It's like, I want to go and start introducing people to the concept of qualified immunity, which I know I just did a whole rant on this when I talked about the Breonna Taylor case, but that's why this shit keeps happening. Because you know, you know as a cop, you're not going to go to prison for this. The odds are very, very slim. And that's fucked up. And that's why this keeps happening. That's how you can have a cop sitting out in the middle of a street in a large city in daylight for nine minutes with his knee on the back of a man's neck when you've got people filming him and he doesn't fucking stop. That's why. Because he doesn't have to. And the whole reason the other cops are standing around didn't do shit, because they don't have to either. Cops are under no legal responsibility to do a damn thing for you. If, if you're sitting there bleeding in the road, they have no obligation to help you. I mean, not legally. Hopefully they have a moral obligation to help you. But legally speaking, those cops did nothing wrong. And that's fucked up too. And I'm, I'm willing to bet that those other cops will not face a single charge. Because legally speaking, they did nothing wrong. It's like, can we please, please, once, take the anger in a moment and focus it where it needs to be. Can we start looking at the root causes? Can we start affecting change? Like coming up this week, the Supreme Court has a case on the docket involving qualified immunity. Focus on that. Highlight that. Don't, don't go steal a fucking Instant Pot. Like, what the fuck? This isn't hard. This shouldn't be hard. And the best thing that I've seen come out of this, and again, I'm sure everybody's seen the video too. I have tweeted it. But on Thursday night, um, here in Atlanta, we had our first riot. Um, it was down in the, the Centennial Olympic Park, CNN area, and some businesses got broken into, windows got smashed, um, stuff got stolen. Uh, the College Football Hall of Fame got looted. Um, the CNN building, I don't think they ever got into the building, but like outside they graffitied it. They have the big like CNN logo out there. People like graffitied that up. But while this was going on, um, they held a press conference with the Atlanta chief of police, who is a woman, and also Keisha Lance Bottoms, our mayor, also a woman. And Killer Mike was invited to speak. And his speech was so good and so powerful. And if you haven't watched it, I do suggest watching it. Even if you don't agree with his his urging of people to go vote, to try to handle it that way. I know not everybody's a voter. Fine. But go just for his words on nonviolence 
and of not burning your own home down, fortifying your own home for shelter, and how there's so many businesses in this community that are Black-owned. And why are you attacking them? Why are you attacking your own community? This is not the way. And it's just, it's so great to see somebody who is that respected get up and advocate and preach for nonviolence, to advocate for organizing and strategizing and let's plot, let's plan, let's start making a plan, let's start affecting actual change. Instead of just doing this thing where everybody gets real angry for a while and then it all dies down and nothing changes. That's what I'm tired of seeing. I'm tired of seeing riots for weeks on end after one of these cases and then nothing happens because everybody just gets burnt out. Like, it takes a lot to sustain a movement. It takes more than a couple weeks of rioting. It takes more than just stealing from people who have done nothing to you. It takes more than burning down businesses that had nothing to do with this, did not hurt you, or businesses that service your community. It just, I, I don't know. Like, it just, it bothers me every time because it's like, I always get my hopes up and I know, I know, I, I am cynical about a lot of things, but sometimes it's like, maybe this is the time that everybody's going to like finally figure it out. Like, okay, we need to start having systemic changes in the policing system in this country. And maybe now is the time. But then like after Ferguson, like that went on for what? Like a, like a solid month, at least of like daily rioting and looting and burning stuff. What changed? What changed? Nothing. Nothing fucking changed other than Ferguson got burnt to the ground. And 10 years on, they still haven't completely rebuilt. So it's like, when when is this going to stop? When? Like, this... God, just... Can, can we please just get to a point where the anger starts becoming focused in a positive direction? Because, I mean, anger is not necessarily... An entirely negative emotion, especially not in situations like this where it's entirely warranted. Do something with it, though. Like, don't let it become this destructive thing. Let it become something that causes you to focus and build and start a movement to do something productive about this for once. Instead of just doing this, which all it does is give the police more of an excuse to go into your neighborhoods. It gives them an excuse to over-police your neighborhoods. This is how stop and frisk happened. It's happened because, oh, these neighborhoods are bad neighborhoods, so we need to put more cops in them. You have cops right now in Minneapolis going down suburban streets, yelling at people on their porch who are filming them to get back in their houses and then firing rubber bullets at them while they're standing on their porch, their own property, like not even in the yard, not even on the sidewalk, their own porch. When are people going to realize there's something fucking wrong with that? Like, this is this. I, I feel like this could be maybe hopefully a moment where especially people on the left and hopefully on the right realize that this is this. This has gone out of control. This has got to stop. Something has to be done about policing in this country. So I cross my fingers. Um, Maybe Congress, too. I mean, there's nothing saying that Congress can't write a law saying that qualified immunity is not a thing, which is technically not a thing. It's it's something that the Supreme Court kind of just made up one time. And now this is used as a justification for cops to basically do whatever the hell they want and just say, 
well, gee, I was scared for my life, or I was doing my job, or blah, 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 blah. When, when it's obvious bullshit. Like, something needs to be done about this. Nothing needs to be done about that. Something needs to be done about police unions. Something needs to be done about the culture of policing. Something needs to be done about the internal culture of cops. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what else to say, but that I hope that more people take Killer Mike's message of organizing and planning and being strategic and trying to affect change other than just setting stuff on fire and making graffiti and then going home and we still have qualified immunity. You know, then, then what, what did you accomplish? You burnt things. You didn't change the system. So fingers crossed on that. Um, hopefully, I mean, obviously we're, we're probably going to be talking about this for a while because I don't think these protests are going to stop. And like I said, I have no problems with the protest. Like, you want to peacefully protest? Do it. Please draw attention to this kind of stuff. I am begging you. Libertarians have been very lonely on this for a very long time. So anybody who wants to get on the board of highlighting police brutality, please come on board. But do it in a nonviolent fashion. Do it the way that Dr. King prescribed for nonviolence. Not only because it's morally correct, but also because it's good optics. It's really hard for anyone to say anything bad about you if you don't do anything bad. It's really, really hard for anyone to say anything bad about you if you're being nonviolent and the cops still attack you. I mean, just just think about this before you haul off and do things. Like, think about the optics. Think about how this is going to be portrayed in the media and by people who want to discredit your movement. That's all. That's that's my only advice. So at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. If you did make it this far, thank you for listening as always. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.